Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 22nd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. Sure thing, Charlie. Good to be with you. Well, I, obviously, there's a lot of things going on in the news, but we want to talk about uh, Charles Krauthammer, um, longtime colleague, uh, contributing editor of the Weekly Standard, as well as a contributor to Fox News and the Washington Post. And um, I know that the magazine is filled with uh, with tributes and, and remembrances. But if you could indulge me for a moment, Stephen, I, I, I just want to recall really one of the high points of I'm, I'm going to say one of the high points of my life. I was going to say professional life, but that that understates it. You remember I, I had been on on uh, talk radio in Milwaukee for 23 years until I decided to hang it up in December of 2016. And and on the way out, my producer, you know, the last two or three days surprised me with with a number of things, including a call. And honestly, I, I, I did not know who was calling in at this point. Let's go to the, uh, the phones. Uh, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Charlie. First-time caller, Charles Crowdhammer. Mr. Crowdhammer, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Now, I hope you can tell from the tone of my voice that, that I was really surprised by that and really moved because it's hard to overstate. And I know a lot of people have said the same thing. You know, what a role model and inspiration Charles Krauthammer was. This was somebody that I had read for decades who really did help shape my view of the world, my view of what conservatism was and you know, to 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 emulate him was was one of the highest uh, calling. So for him to take the time to call into my show, I think it was my penultimate show, and talk was was really extraordinary. And and we went on to talk about writing. And uh, anyone who's ever been a writer, I, I think, will understand his point here. Um, the 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 difficulty of facing that that blank page and why we do it and this is this is what we said about writing. Well, that is the virtue of writing, and I find that too. I mean, I like the immediacy of radio and TV, but the great thing about writing is you can actually edit yourself. It, you know, as soon as it comes out of your mouth on TV or radio, that's it. You're done. You're mm-hmm. you're in the books and. That could be the last thing you ever say. But when you're writing, you can edit. The best, the most fun I have when I, I write is editing myself, mm-hmm. not the original draft, which is often awful beyond belief, but cleaning it and refining it. And actually, as I'm sure you know, when you write, you actually get either new or different ideas along the way. So. Well, I completely agree. I've often, you know, people say, well, do you like writing? And I say, no, I hate writing. I love having written. Yes. Um, and and sometimes I will, I, I once heard somebody say, I, I don't know what I think about that. I won't know what I think about it until I've written about it. And I really understand that now. Fred Barnes once said to me, I'm just, um, the one thing about a piece of writing, about a column, uh, the one great quality, it's not style, it's not originality. It's doneness. Doneness is the ultimate quality in writing. Mm-hmm. That you have, you've got it in front of you, and it is behind you. No, I find the blank page, blank screen, very daunting, and extremely hard to get past. Uh, but once it's there, having written, it's great. 
And it is great. And, and I haven't, I, I think about that all the time. Uh, Stephen, I think about that all the time when I sit down to write that, that, that daunting black page, blank, blank page, but, but, but getting it done and getting it right. Isn't, isn't that the greatest feeling? Yeah, it is the greatest feeling. Although I don't know the getting it right stuff very often. <laughs> Certainly not as often as, as Charles. Yeah. Uh, well, I, post. But that, of course, was the skill that he was able to be so direct and lucid on television, but also then, you know, to be able to sit down with a considered thought. And you could tell that 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 he he, he spoke as a writer, somebody who 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 did speak in complete sentences, which and, and complete paragraphs, which which, by the way, is 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 rarer than I think people think. And at the end of our conversation, again, keep in mind, this is December of 2016. Donald Trump had just been uh, elected. And a lot of us were going, okay, what's going to happen? What's our role going to be? What, what, what does it mean to be a commentator or a pundit you know, in this particular era? Those of us who had you know, thought we had understood the conservative movement about to go into you know, a completely new world, which was daunting but also liberating. And, and this, is, this is what he had to say about it. I've been at this for 30 years. <laughs> I quit medicine to be uh, involved in the political world. And... Uh, as my father said at the time, there was not an act of upward mobility to go from being a doctor to being a scribbler. Um, but I did it because I believe in certain things and wanted to express them. That's what I do. And if I didn't express them, and if I weren't perfectly honest about what I believe, I would be betraying the whole my whole adult life, which was to change careers, to be involved in this, and promote certain ideas. Uh, and that's where I am. I feel liberated in the sense that, yes, I, I'm not bound to someone, say a candidate I might have supported in a way that I'd necessarily want to see them succeed or defend them when mm -hmm. things are pretty dicey. But generally speaking, if you say what you believe, you're going to do all right in this business. It's people who try to trim for their audiences who get tripped up. I completely agree. Because dangerous. you can't remember your own lives. <laughs> so we are we are really going to miss his voice, you know. And 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 Stephen, I uh, it really strikes me that when you read the tributes about his civility, his uh, his honesty, his humanity, and his decency. We really need that more now than, than maybe ever before. I think we do. Um, I, I got a, an email last night within uh, a short time of learning that, that Charles had passed away um, from Tom Jocelyn, who's a frequent Weekly Standard writer, collaborator of mine, contributing editor to the magazine, and somebody I consider to be probably the smart second smartest person i've ever met and tom was writing me about the first smartest person i've ever met charles krauthammer and that's exactly tom's point it's it's you know we need charles's voice today more than we ever have because of the clarity that he brought to you know not only these issues but to the big principles um at a time when uh, so many of our colleagues, I would say, on the right have um, have treated their principles as sort of 
you know, something to be disposed of quickly uh, or too quickly. Charles was never that. He believed the things he believed uh, fully and strongly, and um, they were his principles because he'd given them a great deal of thought. And I, th- I think that's, you know, one of many, many things that, that distinguished him is you could see, which didn't mean that he was, he was unbending. I mean, it didn't mean that he wouldn't revisit his, his views or policy prescriptions or what have you, or, or even uh, willing to, to admit that he was wrong about things. But he had these core principles and you really couldn't, um, you couldn't shake them. And, and I think the fact that he was, so willing to to stick up for them even when it wasn't popular and you know in recent months and and years a lot of the things he was arguing weren't popular particularly with uh, his own side he didn't care he said at one point you know i have an obligation to tell the truth and to to speak my mind to be blunt about it and if i'm not going to do that what am i doing in this business it's exactly how i think of it and i think of it that way because of charles krauthammer I've been spending the day, you know, looking and, and listening to the various tributes to Charles Krauthammer uh, and the remembrances of Charles Krauthammer, and it struck me at one point that this is not the usual way that journalists, that scribblers, are remembered. You know, when you when you when you, when you think about it, what a unique position he he held in in our culture that he is remembered with so much affection. I'm trying to think of any other writer or commentator. Who's going to be, um, you know, as, as memorialized the way that Charles Krauthammer? And there, there was something distinctive and special. There are the world is absolutely f- filled with with bloggers and talking heads and syndicated columnists. What really made Charles Krauthammer so different, so distinctive? Well, you know, yeah, you, you can you can stop your search right now. There won't be somebody who's remembered this way. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I do think Charles was the best of the best. I mean, you know, for those of us who, who do, you know, roughly the same thing that he did or, or try to do what, what he did, he was better than everybody else. Uh, and he was pretty consistently better than everybody else. And I say that um, meaning no offense to some of the others who are considered uh, the greats. Charles was the best. And so I think you're seeing in, in the days since um, the public learned of, of his uh, prognosis and, and since his passing, you're seeing people make that very basic recognition. But the second thing about Charles is he was almost universally well-liked. Mm-hmm. And in this business, I mean, think about what he did for a living. He made arguments and sometimes he made very, very sharp arguments, the toughest of uh, tough criticism of his opponents. And not everybody liked him. And I, I have no doubt that some of the people on the receiving end of, of his critiques still remember it and maybe hold it against him. But the people who interacted with Charles, wherever they were on the political spectrum, however well they knew him, they left those interactions thinking well of him because fundamentally he was a good man and you couldn't help but learn that whether it was somebody coming to sit in on a taping or or a a shooting of a special report um, you know a friend of a friend or something charles would take the time to listen to them and to ask them about where they were from and what their interests were and uh, what brought them to Washington. And he managed to do so in a way that did not feel uh, 
perfunctory, that didn't feel like he was just doing it to do it, that he was genuinely interested in what they said. And sometimes, uh, this was certainly the case in his discussions with my parents when they came to visit, they would, he would go on and have long conversations with people that he had just met, people who, were, who had been intimidated to come up and talk to Charles Krauthammer, would find themselves in a deep discussion about chess or space or politics or raising kids a half hour later. And Charles would do it because he was intellectually curious. I think he genuinely cared about people. Um, and he was, he was a good person and you know not to to be too depressing about it but there aren't enough of those uh anymore and there certainly aren't enough of those in washington anymore and and in this business so how long did you how long do you know uh charles krauthammer so i'd read him for years i'd watched Mm -hmm. him religiously on inside washington which is that gordon peterson show that he did before he came to fox there was some overlap with inside washington and fox and then i came to fox in the early summer of 2009, when Brett Baer, shortly after mm-hmm. Brett Baer had taken over special report from Brett Hume, I came to Fox um, to join Charles on the panel. And Charles was at the time the anchor of the panel. I mean, I think he always was the anchor of the panel. Um, but in those days, he was doing the panel five days a week. And I came to Fox to do it usually three, sometimes four days a week with Charles. And I will tell you, one of the reasons I wanted to come to Fox, in addition to being good longtime friends with Brett Baer, uh, we went to college together, uh, was the the opportunity to work alongside Charles Krauthammer. Um, it was both really exciting for a relatively young guy doing what I did, um, and also really intimidating to think that I was going to, at times, uh, have strong public disagreements with the Charles crowd here. You know, we were going to be going at each other. On well, you, you talk about intimidating. Yes. That you, you've said, this is, this is a guy's when the Pulitzer prize, he's you know, yes. read for years and now you're on live television, matching wits with Charles Krauthammer. Yes. Yes. That would be yes. the definition of intimidating. It was, and it was, and you, I mean, you can, anybody who watches him, watched him could see how smart he was. Um, and, and I, you know, I was nervous about it, frankly. Um, and sometimes he made me pay. I've told this this story uh, elsewhere, but I'll repeat it again here. We had this great back and forth um, where we would we would get into these big arguments, and we would try to to what we both called hold the ball. Um, <laughs> I made a mistake in in the 2012 primary season of. Um, giving Charles an opportunity to respond to an argument I'd make. He was very friendly to to um, Mitt Romney. I was more friendly to Newt Gingrich and sort of Tea Party arguments. And he made his case. The second person on the panel made his or her case. I made my case, and then I left Charles five seconds, with which he totally destroyed me. Um, just uh, you know, completely knocked down my argument in in a sentence or two and then a week later we had the same kind of an argument charles went first the second person went second i went third and then rather than give charles uh an opportunity to respond and to destroy my argument with yet a sentence yet again um i started to speak very slowly and i didn't give him any opportunity to respond. And I'd have these dramatic pauses between words. And I was looking at the camera, but I was also looking down the you panel. You were playing defense. 
Yes. It was like <laughs> the four corners. You're right. And Charles knew exactly what I was doing. And he was laughing so hard. You could, you could just see him. He was sort of rocking back and forth. I think he had tears coming out of his eyes. He was laughing so hard. And we went to, to we finally went to commercial break and he didn't have an opportunity to, to respond. And we all just collapsed in laughter because, and he, and he said, yeah, you blank, uh, Called, called me a name and then said, uh, you've learned from the master. <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the other thing about Charles Krauthammer, and I was thinking about this when you, when you described his, his kindness and, and, and the way that he was patient with people and, and his, and his good humor. Look, I, I am sure there were great frustrations in his life. And I think I, in a previous podcast, we talked about him. I talked about that day when, um, I, I walked around the entire perimeter of the, of, of the Republican convention in Cleveland back in, uh, back in 2016. Yeah. He, he, he had, he had been dropped off in an area where the police had cordoned off an area and I had to try to keep up with him in the motorized vehicle. And of course this was, this was not difficult. Uh, it, was, it was not easy going through all of the barriers and going through all the checkpoints and everything. And he did it with, with grace and good humor the entire point, the, the entire time, which is, which is to his credit, but even more so when you when you really reflect on how difficult his life was, and I don't want to dwell on this, but this is a man who was paralyzed, you know, after a terrible accident that would have destroyed many other people who, you know, would have, you know, cr- crushed them. And I'm sure made daily life things that you and I take for granted, must have made it incredibly complicated and, 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 and often very, very annoying. And yet, as you describe him and as others have experienced him he never acted that out you never got that sense that he was living under great stress irritation or depression no and, you know what and, and what a what a kind of a, a lesson for the rest of us and i was thinking about this morning i was talking with someone you know on the phone and and this person was saying you know how stressful the day was and all the things that were annoying and then stopped and said that you know, I was thinking about Charles Krauthammer and his attitude and his character and his optimism. And it, and it puts you to shame when you think about that. Yeah, you know, it was, it's so interesting. I mean, ha- having known him for a decade and having spoken with him at length about almost special report appearance, not everyone, but almost everyone. I'd go back and sit in his office in the back of of Fox and, and we would catch up on the news of the day or I'd tell him about you know, my kids, or he'd talk to me about Daniel, his son, or, you know, we'd, we'd kick all of these things around. And as many times as we had those conversations, I would say his disability uh, and his accident came up probably less than a handful. He didn't avoid the subject. He was perfectly happy to, to talk about it if it came up or if you asked him about it or, or it was part of the conversation, but he didn't dwell on it either. Um, and he, he addressed it in sort of a matter of fact way. And I just found that so interesting. John Podhoritz has a terrific um, appreciation of Charles uh, on the commentary website. And, and I forget exactly how John phrased it, but it, it really struck uh, me as accurate that, that Char- you didn't think about Charles that way. You thought about Charles as Charles. You didn't spend a lot of time thinking about him that way. And I don't think he spent a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about himself that way. Um, but, you know, even in not talking about it and not making it a, a big part of his public persona, 
it set an example, right? I mean, it set the people could people could see people who knew people who understood. And he sometimes wrote private letters uh, to people or would encourage people, others with disabilities. Um, There's it, a fantastic thread on Twitter about that today, which is, you know captures the, exactly what you're describing, encouraging someone who had you know experienced a traumatic injury like this, and and it's remarkable again, you know the that he would take the time and had the compassion to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But that is, I mean, you know, the, the, everybody, everybody who watched Charles could see as how brilliant he was, as I said before. I mean, it, we, we all were sort of in awe of, of his intellect. But it really is the fact that he was such a good person. That's yeah. what sets him apart. Um, he, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't have to be. Um, if it, I think most people, if they had been blessed with that kind of an intellect – would be a pain in the ass about it. And Charles wasn't at all. Charles was a down to, he was well aware of how smart he was, but he was down to earth. He didn't wear it. Uh, you know, he, he wore it very, very softly. And, and you, yeah, and, and you've, and you've seen, look, you've interacted, I've interacted with people who are prima donnas. They're important. And, you know, they, they demand all sorts of things. And, and given his situation, he certainly was in a position to do that, and, and do it legitimately, and yet didn't do it. All right, there, there's one other point, and it, maybe it's somewhat awkward at this point to, to bring this up, but you know, as I reflect on, on the, the kind of conservatism represented by Krauthammer, the, Charles Krauthammer, the, 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 the values and the principles, the thoughtfulness, the civility, it's hard not to notice that this is, this is the kind of conservatism that frankly, the conservative movement as it exists right now has repudiated, has has moved away from. That we're living in a Trumpian era that is really the you know antithesis of everything that Charles Krauthammer represented. Is that overstating the case? I I don't think it is overstating the case. I mean, if if you think about what we were saying at the very beginning of our discussion. Um, this is why we need Charles Krauthammer, and this is why this loss is particularly profound at this moment. Um, you know, Charles represented a, a certain kind of conservative, as you say, and um, he, he could he could punch through the kind of nonsense that we see filling our, our airwaves, filling our, our public discussions about what's happening in the country today in a way that virtually nobody can. And, you know, he, he would talk to me, uh, you know, when we'd sit in the, in the back and we'd sort of marvel over the changes of the, the conservative movement and how conservatives were approaching issues. I mean, he was, he was very clear that he wasn't a fan of Donald Trump. Uh, he and Trump went at each other many times in public. Um, Trump didn't like that Charles was a critic. And I think Trump always wanted to convert Charles and, and um, perhaps came to understand that he never was going to be able to. But Charles also, I think, was frustrated by uh, other conservatives who had um, long made arguments based on the same principle, conservative principles, movement conservatism that Charles did, who you know, found it easy to just sort of walk away from those. Um, and he didn't spend a lot of time obsessing over this in, in public, but he was, he was certainly frustrated by it. Uh, I think it's, it's, you know, without getting um, too, too sentimental here, I think it's, it's on those of us who would, would try to do what Charles did so well to keep that up. You know, he made the argument that you, you have to say what you believe um, or else there's no real reason to, to be in this. And 
I think that's true. And if everybody would just do that, uh, I think we'd have a very different kind of debate than, than the one that we're having now. Stephen Hayes, thanks so much for joining me. And, and a final word and sort of an indication of uh, Charles Krauthammer's status. The Speaker of the House of Representatives, the outgoing Speaker, Paul Ryan, took to the floor of the House earlier today and had this to say about Charles Krauthammer. If I had to think about this, uh, Charles was a good friend of mine. He had a beautiful mind. And he had a wonderful, wonderful way about him. Simply put, I loved this man. I loved his work. I would marvel not over just what he would said, but how he would say it. He had this unique ability to take the issue of the moment and place it perfectly in the context of just bigger things. America is the only country founded on an idea, he would say. And his vocation was the defense of that idea. As great as his intellect was, there was just absolutely no arrogance about him. He was good company. He was gracious. He was curious. You take any topic, and he had already thought through his argument, your argument, and all of the counterarguments before you even got started to think. <laughs> he was always willing to enjoy the fight, but with good cheer, and he enjoyed it. He reveled in it. He excelled at it. He used his immeasurable gifts to contribute to our civic discourse. And he did it civilly, and we are all the better for it. We will be wiser for what he has done for us. And I only hope and pray that we can try to emulate his spirit and his sense of wonder and his sense of civility. The house and this nation are in his debt, and our prayers are with his family. Thanks for listening to today's Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again.